Egypt. And I've reminded you week after week that these stories are our stories because of Jesus Christ, the one who is our Passover lamb, the one who is our exodus, our freedom uh, from slavery to sin and to death. And so join me now in Exodus chapter 13. I'll read verses 1 to 16. Exodus 13, verse 1. This is the Word of God. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be for you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, By a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we come to words that are very difficult and strange for us. These actions that you tell your people to take, they seem so distant and confusing. Uh, We struggle to see how they connect right now, how they connect tomorrow morning. And so we come to your word trusting that it is your gift to us, that you speak to us here, uh, but needing your help, asking for your help. Would you help us not only understand what's happening in this chapter, but even more, would you help us to be shaped by the truth, the message that we find here? Would you humble us before your voice? Would you give us soft hearts to receive the seed of your word so that it would produce fruit in our lives? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Most of us don't think of repetition 
as freedom. At a summer job when I was in college, and I worked at a factory, and this factory carried on the noble work of producing cat litter. And, um, and so I worked in this factory in the summers, and I worked mainly in the packaging department. And, and sometimes we would run a shipment of bags of cat litter that had coupons in them. And so my job for that day would be to stand for 10 to 12 hours at an assembly line with a stack of coupons and do this. Drop them in the bag all day long. That's not our ideal, is it? That's not what we would think of as the free life. That kind of boring, tedious repetition. But consider what we just read. In the overall story of Exodus, this is the climax. (coughs) This incredible moment where because of what God has done, God's people are able to walk away from hundreds of years of violent and oppressive slavery. If we were directing this movie, the action would speed up. But that's not what the director of Exodus does. In chapters 12 and 13, all of the action slows down to a crawl. And we get very little action and a whole lot of instruction. Instructions on repetition. Rituals, ceremonies, practices that God's people were supposed to do again and again, year after year. To us, tedious, boring repetition. The Passover meal, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the consecration of the firstborn, again and again and again. How is this freedom? If God is liberating His people from slavery, how is this freedom? And that question is important for us. Not just to understand this text, but it is important to us because the New Testament takes these rituals and it doesn't tell us to practice them, but it does tell us that these rituals are meaningful for us. These rituals, this repetition, teaches us what it means to live free. How? How is that possible? Well, I want us to look at this passage. I want us to look at these practices. And we'll see two things. We'll see that these repetitive rituals teach us freedom in what they communicate and in what they accomplish. So first of all, in what they communicate. We think of freedom as the absence of limits. But these practices teach us that freedom is the presence of belonging. There is an absence here. The absence of leaven, right? The absence of yeast in the Israelites' bread once a year. And and this... Unleavened bread represents the speed with which God's people left Egypt because of the drama of His judgment. They are able to quickly get up and leave and don't even have time for the bread, for the yeast to cause the bread to rise. And so they eat unleavened bread, 
remembering that God has drastically and dramatically separated them from slavery. They separate the leaven from the bread to remember that action. But there's a next step, isn't there? God, as this text says again and again, brings His people out of Egypt. He brings them out of, but He doesn't leave them hanging. He brings them out of in order to bring them into. Into this land that He had promised to them. This land flowing with milk and honey. And this land was the ultimate expression of their liberation. The absence of Egypt meant the presence in this abundant place. And while God does say that it will be a place of prosperity, that is not ultimately what makes it a place of freedom. It is not the milk and honey that makes this land a place of freedom. What makes this a place of freedom is what we see in these other rituals. The rituals involving the firstborns. It seems like in Exodus we talk about the firstborn every week of this series. It is a major theme. It's an essential element of this book's message. And remember that in these ancient cultures, the firstborn son received the wealth of the family so that he could take care of the well-being of the family. So it was a place of privilege. It was a status of privilege and responsibility. And remember that God has said in chapter 4, this community the descendants of Abraham, they are my firstborn. They stand in a unique family relationship with me, and they represent my family interests in the world. That is the status that God is giving to His people, Israel. He says that in chapter 4, and He continues to say that through these rituals, through these sacrifices as the firstborn of the animals die, or as an animal dies on behalf of the firstborn human son, God is saying, all that you have, all that you are, belongs to me. You are my firstborn. You stand in this unique relationship to me, and you participate in my purposes for all of creation. He says again and again, you belong to me. So notice, freedom isn't only the removal of slavery. It is the restoration of a status. Freedom is the entire movement from the house of bondage to the house of sonship. Freedom is the full adoption of a people into this unique family relationship with God where they are beloved by Him and they participate in His intentions for all of creation. That was true for these ancient peoples and it is still true for us. That is what freedom means. And I've already mentioned this, but it, it pushes against our cultural idea of freedom. Because we think of freedom as absolute choice with the goal of authentic self-expression. What Charles Taylor calls expressive individualism. So society should provide the space 
for everyone to discover and display who they want to be. That's what we think freedom means. But if you listen, if you pay attention, you'll hear a problem with that. You'll hear a tension in that pursuit of freedom. So for example, this uh, past week, I heard an interview, I think it was on NPR's Fresh Air. It was an interview with um, the creator of Transparent, which is a show on Amazon about an older gentleman who late in his life identifies as transgender. And it was really interesting how Terry Gross set this show up. She said, on the one hand, it is, it is this show about, it's a story about liberation. It's a story about someone uh, discovering and displaying who they want to be. But on the other hand, it's a story about tension because of the complicated relationship he has with his, and this is a direct quote, self-absorbed children. You hear the problem? You hear the tension? We want self-expression. We don't want self-centeredness. And those two things come into conflict. Why? Because we weren't made for limitless choice. We were not made for unrestrained options. We were made for belonging. We were made to belong to someone and something bigger than ourselves. We were made to belong to God as His firstborns. To stand in a unique relationship to Him where we are beloved by Him and we belong to His purposes for creation. That's what freedom is. Freedom is God removing us from all that stands against Him. All that would replace Him. Removing us from that and restoring us to this status of what it means to be in the image of God, to be loved by Him, and to participate in His intentions for all of creation. That's what freedom is. But even if you want that version of freedom, how do you have it? How do you get it? How are you free in this way? If that is attractive to you, how do you have that freedom? Well, these rituals, these repetitive practices in Exodus 13, not only teach us about freedom, but they teach us how to have it. They show us how it is accomplished. And so secondly, let's see and let's look at what these rituals accomplish. The purpose of these practices was to connect the past to the present. So notice the relationship between the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. At the Passover meal, the people were supposed to eat unleavened bread, right? That was an essential part of their plate in that meal as they remembered God freeing them from Egypt. But they weren't to stop there. They were to continue eating unleavened bread throughout the week. For seven days, they were to continue to eat this bread that reminded them of what happened. Why? Because the Exodus event wasn't all that God was doing. The Exodus wasn't done with. 
on that one night all of those years ago, that event was intended to echo in the daily life of His people. And so these ceremonies, these rituals, bring the people back to what God had done and then connect it to a way of life. They say, God has made you free, and so live free. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 again and see this dynamic. Um, And the language here is about the practice of unleavened bread, but it is repeated when they talk about the consecration of the firstborn. Once again, let me read verse 9 for us. It says, And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. So remember what God has done. God has freed you. Why? For what purpose is this memory? That the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. The law in the Old Testament was instruction on how to live as God's liberated people in the promised land. And that life, that life of fulfilling the law of God was only possible by remembering what God had done to give them freedom, to purchase freedom for them. God has freed you So live free. Now why is this cycle necessary? Why is it necessary to come back and remember again and again, over and over, what God had done to accomplish freedom for His people? Why is that necessary? Well, because the possibility of slavery didn't end in Egypt. As God's people came into this new land, they were offered... Other ways of living that were against God's design for them. And more significantly, they were offered other deities, other gods that would replace their true Lord. And so, they need to see and taste and hear again and again, no, 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 that is slavery. And you are free. God, with His strong hand, has brought you out of Egypt. Don't bring Egypt with you. Don't bring these false ways of living, these false deities, don't bring them with you. God has made you free, so live free. Live in the freedom that He has purchased for you. But here's the problem. That cycle never quite worked. It never quite worked because again and again, God's people forgot. And they drifted. They drifted into idolatry. They drifted into patterns of life that were against God's design for them. They forgot. And they walked away. Why? Why? Because their slavery and our slavery goes deeper than the historic Egyptian empire. Our slavery goes deeper than the historic Egyptian empire. It is rooted all the way down in our hearts, our core desires and motivations that because of sin lead us away from God rather than towards Him. And because of this deeper slavery... God had to do a deeper 
work of freedom. Which He did in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, in Jesus, God was overcoming, defeating the enslaving power of sin and liberating all of those who believe in Him. Jesus' life, death, resurrection is God accomplishing freedom for you. God has accomplished freedom for you. So believe and live free. Jesus has brought us to God, made a way for us to call Him Father, to be restored to this unique status that God made us for. So believe and live out your belonging. Now that is a message for those who are Christians and for those who aren't. But for those who are Christians... You, maybe you hear that, like me, and you think, okay, easier said than done. You're free, live free, easier said than done, which is true. Because Christ's work isn't done until the final resurrection. And sin, although it cannot enslave us, still influences us. And influences us with an with what seems like an overwhelming power. Think about this. You know this. If you look at what God wants for us, I mean, not the confusing stuff that we have debates about, but the really clear desires of God in the Bible, what He wants for sexuality, what He wants for money, what He wants for all sorts of relationships, when He calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to love even our enemies. When we consider God's design for us, if sin is slavery, doesn't it feel like freedom? And if obedience is freedom, doesn't it feel like slavery? If we're really honest, doesn't it feel that way? I think people who've wrestled with addictions know this better than anyone else. That a substance or an action which is destructive feels like life. We share that experience when it comes to sin. When it comes to desires that are against God's design for us. When it comes to patterns of life that oppose and reject His will. It feels like freedom. It feels like like life. And so what do we do? What do we do? How do we deal with that? Well, with repetition. We deal with that with repetition. Not the repetition of unleavened bread, not the repetition of sacrifices for firstborn, but the repetition of the gospel. The repetition of the message that Christ was broken for us. His body was broken for us as bread. That Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, was sacrificed for us, was rejected so that we could belong. Our life should be full of repetitive seeing, tasting, hearing. In Jesus, you are free.
In Jesus, God has purchased you. You have been restored and are being restored to the status of a life fully belonging to Him. In Jesus, you are free. And we come by faith to that repetitive message and hear it again and again. We come to that and we need that repetition because in it we find forgiveness for our failures. We find God's ongoing, active, empowering presence for change. And we find a sustaining hope of full and final restoration in the future. You need repetition in your life because repetition of the gospel in your heart and in your mind is freedom and so in the end this repetition that we need is not me dropping coupons in cat litter bags it's the repetition of a world class athlete it's reading this week about the science of major league baseball where it is miraculous that anyone makes contact with the ball at all. Given the distance and speed and normal human eye-hand coordination, it is miraculous that contact is made with the ball. What makes it possible? Certainly there's some physical skill, but that physical skill always has to be paired with what? (coughs) Repetition. The same motion Again and again and again. Hours, days, years. If we will come by faith to the repetition of the gospel, hours, days, and years of hearing that in Jesus we are free, if we will come to that repetition, we will begin to know, not immediately, not perfectly, but gradually, a growing, miraculous freedom. The freedom of a life fully belonging to God. Let's pray.